Hello and welcome to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley, here to just bring you all things empowerment on all things health, all things wellness, all things optimization. So I'm happy that you guys are here. Today I have a really, really great interview with Dr. Stephanie Estima. I read her book, The Betty Body. We're going to be getting into that very, very shortly. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you. And I want to give a shout out to you guys who are taking the time to leave a review. So again, I feel like I say this every time, but reviews in general are just amazing. So if you have worked with me in any capacity, maybe you've worked together with me in person, or maybe we've worked together virtually, Google reviews are kind of like the currency that helps get your business out there. So you know, not that I ask for all that much, at least I try not to, but if I've helped you in some way, whether it's just listening to the podcast, a podcast review, if I've helped you working one-on-one with you, or you've done my courses, a Google review would mean the absolute world. So just going to put that out there, put that out into the universe because I have seen, like I've had patients come to me and say, oh yeah, I read all the great reviews. And so that's why I picked you over somebody else. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. So you know, a simple act can really, really help me uh, in a lot of different ways. So I just want to say thank you for that. And thank you in advance if after this or during this or you're pausing it and you're going to do it or whatever, (laughs) if you are going to leave that review again, it means so much. So shout out to Kmore08. Everyone needs to listen five stars. I'm so thankful that I stumbled upon Dr. Schaff's Instagram and therefore found this podcast. I'm soaking in all the great information I wish more people would, quote unquote, get woke to this mindset of health. Thank you, Haley, for all your hard work and effort you have and will make a difference in more people's lives than you know. Thank you seriously so much. That is honestly my goal. Sometimes it feels, you know, you you could be doing all these different things and that's just obviously your goal is to be able to impact as many people as you can. That's why I do a podcast is because I know that I can I can help a lot of different people who whoever decides to listen. So Thank you so much. That really, it really, really, really means a lot. I have a lot of exciting things in the works. I've been really busy. You guys know I, I create a lot of content and stuff. So, so that stuff like that just really makes my day. Honestly, it really does. So I am super, super excited, you guys, to get into the topic today of all things kind of health, hormones, uh, with Dr. Stephanie, she has a book out called The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones, and Transformative Sex. So she really gives us the lowdown on understanding our hormones, understanding what's going on in the body, how our hormones are fluctuating throughout the month. But also, even if your hormones aren't fluctuating throughout the month, if you're in mer- uh, menopause, she also gives a lot of great tips on that too, because there, I do see a lot of people who, who are kind of in pre pre-menopause or even menopause. So being able to support them as their cycles changing, we talk about all of that. And so her story was incredible. She's also a fellow chiropractor. She lives up in Canada. So she went to the chiropractic school up there and she is very, so much like myself, very 
you know, although we're in a very holistic profession, very into what the literature is saying. And not only that, she has been in clinical practice for a really long time. So she knows, you know, I think that people like that for me are always very relatable, just kind of like how Dr. Mary saw, you know, she's still in practice, but then she's also doing all these great things like writing a book, very similar to Dr. Stephanie, you know, these, when you are seeing things out in practice, you can take the research and the things that you've learned in school and the research that you continue to dive into and it's windy. <laughs> um, you know, you can take all those things and then you can just continue to apply that to patients, see how, what outcome they have. And then you can continue to learn. Cause I can read one thing all day. Like for example, seed cycling, not a lot of research on it at all. It's not very evidence-based, but I've seen it work in people. So I'm not going to discount it because I've seen it work, you know? So I, I think that she is, is very relatable because she really has both the clinical experience and a huge evidence backing to it you know the bibliography in her book was just incredible she had tons of great references and I always love looking at the references because those are always beneficial for me because I like to go and and kind of read that interpret that and then be able to use some of those things and so I just I really enjoyed our conversation I really enjoyed her book I think I read it in six days it was it was it's very you know it's easy to understand it's a lot of really great tangible tips I really like that she talks a lot about cycling throughout the month in terms of, you know, how we are obviously cycling. So we are, our hormones are changing and how our diets can change when we can add more fasting, when we can add more healthy carbs and then how that's beneficial to our hormones. And I'm not sure if that's really something I've ever talked about on this podcast. I was actually interviewed for the key nutrition podcast a few weeks ago. And I did speak on this because I realized that it's not something I've really talked much about here. So I really wanted to have Dr. Stephanie on because she's really great at that. And so, like I said, Dr. Stephanie Estima, she's a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. She's been featured on Thrive Global and the Huffington Post, has over 3.5 article reads on medium.com, has helped thousands of women lose weight, regulate their hormones, and get off medications with her signature program. The Estima Diet um, is, is her signature program, and you can hear her every week on her podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie. So that's kind of where the Betty body came from is because she calls the people on her podcast Bettys. So I love that. And she kind of talks about what a Betty is and you know, I, I really recommend this book. So you guys can always see the books that I'm loving in the Instagram story highlight books. I've pretty much, I think for the past year and a half, I've put every, pretty much every single book that I've read in that highlight. So you can go and check that out. You know, some books I get through faster than others. I'm currently reading a book called Metabolical. It's essentially about like the lies of modern medicine and our food industry. It's really great. Uh, Dr. Robert Lustig, I believe. Yeah, he's the author. It's really incredible. So that's the current book I'm reading, but you can check out all the other books. I get a lot of questions. Oh, what are books you recommend for this? Or what, you know, what are books that are good for this? Check out that highlight because that's on there. And so Dr. Stephanie's book is also on there and I know you guys will love it. So let's get into today's interview. You guys are going to really thoroughly enjoy it. I learned a lot, especially even after reading her book, this kind of just like reinforced so many different things that she was saying and really gave me a lot of a lot of good things going forward, uh, you know, to work on for myself and obviously to implement with other people that I work with. So, you know, just because we are physicians, we are always learning from each other and I probably will never stop learning. I will always be a student in some aspect. And so that's why I love bringing on these amazing experts to, to pick their brain and talk to them and just learn even more. So without further ado, enjoy today's podcast. 
All right. Well, Dr. Stephanie Estima, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to dive into your new book, The Betty Body, and just all those things. So give us a kind of rundown on your background, who you are, and just kind of all the things. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to be on another doctor's uh, podcast and uh, a fellow chiropractor as well. So uh, my background is, um, so in university, I uh, have always been really obsessed with brain health. So my undergraduate studies were in neuroscience and psychology. And as you know, a natural extension of being obsessed with the brain is being obsessed with the encasement of the of the central nervous system, which is the bones and the muscular system. So when I was looking for um, you know professional options, I was volunteer. I thought I, you know initially I thought I would be um, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. And so I went to the hospital, I did some volunteer work in, um, in the NICU and like, I didn't even last a week. Like, I think I just didn't show up during like my third, like I was there for two days and I was like, this is not for me. Like I could not, the, the healthcare model or, you know, what many have come to refer to as more of a sick care model where you're just really treating the, the present, the presenting symptoms was not good enough for me. Um, it could have, you know, very lucrative, right? You can make a lot of money that way, but it just philosophically was at odds with what I thought healthcare could be. And so I was volunteering at a a bunch of different, um, professions, uh, came across a chiropractor who like rocked my world in terms of his philosophy, how he ran his practice. And I knew that I was going to be a chiropractor like after leaving, um, his office. So went on to, um, to pursue chiropractic, um, uh, shout out to CMCC, which is my, <laughs> my, my school. And, you know, when I started my practice, uh, it was very much a brain-based, you know, lots of rehabilitation. So a lot of functional uh, neurology and a lot of exercise physiology that we were integrating into the, uh, in addition to a chiropractic adjustment. And what I noticed was, and we, you and I were just talking about this in the pre-chat. So I've always been obsessed with nutrition uh, and fitness. These are sort of two pieces, like my two great love. There's three great like loves I have. It's chiropractic, nutrition, and fitness, and they go together very well. But in in the clinic, I started running this nutrition program, and noticed that my women we're getting very different results. Like we would, we were doing more of a carbohydrate restricted model, uh, more of, a, you know, what you might call a ketogenic diet for weight loss. And the men would be like, man, doc, like this is just the best thing ever, right? Like I've lost 20 pounds and it's so great. And I have so much energy. And you know, like the wife who had signed up was like, I hate this. <laughs> you know, we're doing the same damn things. I'm eating the same damn food. And you know, I've dropped two pounds and my husband's dropped 10. Right. So I started becoming really curious around some of the different um, uh, indicators of prognosis. And one of those very quickly became sex, right? Became gender. So started really doing a deep dive into uh, female physiology, like my own self-studies, like spending hours and hours on PubMed, which I know, you know, is not necessarily really sexy, but I could really find, like lose myself there. And um and then it was really helpful in terms of my own journey. And we're, you know, maybe we'll get to uh, talking about um, my book today, The Betty Body. But Oh, absolutely. But in my own journey, I used to have the, the worst 
periods, like the worst menstrual cycle, like angry breasts, distended stomach, moodiness, irritability, all the PMS stuff. And it was really in my journey in trying to serve my patients that I also was able to find myself in and find the solutions for myself that I didn't even know that I needed, um, but uh, really came to be around around some of this research. So um, the book we're going to talk about today is uh, how you know, women are really not little men, even though we like to pretend sometimes that we are. <laughs> we like to, you know, be that type A personality who achieves and has all this productivity and stuff. But when you are divorced from, you know, the the ebbs and flows of your hormonal uh, milieu, which of course, as a woman in her reproductive age, we know that we're very different, um, not only week to week, but truly day to day. Um, but when you really understand that and harness that power, it becomes it becomes your superpower. You know when to schedule podcasts like this one. You know when to uh, give a speech or a presentation. You know when it's time to go inward and figure out some of the things that are not working in your life. And um, that it really is a recipe for living a fully embodied um, life. So that's you know kind of my you know back of the envelope. Where did I come from and and what what my story is. I absolutely love that because I think that sometimes we forget that, like you said, we're not little men. And I feel that sometimes, you know, I'm just, I'm very type A. I have a lot of masculine energy where I'm just go, go, go. But I have to realize my cycle and my, my hormones are changing on a day-to-day basis. And I, taking that into account and, you know, things that we're going to talk about today is eating differently at different points in your cycle. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, cycling keto. And I love that you talk about that because we don't necessarily need to keto harder. Sometimes we need to go in and out and why are metabolisms different than our significant others or, you know, our brother or whoever, who just has an easy time losing weight, or they can eat whatever they want because they don't have the hormones that we do. And, I love that you talk about stuff like that. What drew you, I guess, to the hormone stuff? Did you have, like, I know you had said that you had kind of your own kind of period issues, the bloating, and gosh, that's something I talk about all the time. So many people don't realize that they don't have to feel bloated. And that's not normal. Like, that's not, you know, there's a really big difference between uh, common and normal. And, you know, I know you've read the book, so you know that I kind of go on like a, you know, a bit of a tirade around the differences <laughs> between these two words. But, you know, if you think that something is normal, you know, normal bloating, for example, and I know that that's something that you speak about a lot on your platform and like gut health. But if you think that this is normal, you are not going to seek out a solution for something that is considered normal or that you deem to be normal versus if you recognize that, okay, this bloating, this digestive uh, upset is, you know, a common thing. So many women may, you know, suffer from these hormonal dis, you know, regulation. It's common, but it's not normal. You will say, okay, so a lot of women are dealing with maybe the same thing that I am, but I still need to figure out how I'm going to solve this because it's not supposed, it's not inherent to my design. It's not inherent to my biology. So, you know, I think once we can even just get that through to, you know, our patients and, and, you know, the women that we serve, then we can start to make leeway. We can start to make some headway into helping them understand their hormonal fluctuations. So, uh, in the book, very early on in the book, one of the first things I talk about is tracking your cycle and as simple as, you know, some of you are like, Oh yeah, I got it. Like, I do that all the time. I know exactly how long the length of my menstrual cycle is, how long my bleed week is, all as 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 crazy simple as that is, you would be shocked about 
how many women have no idea and have no indication of the length of their cycle, the length of their bleed week, what the quality of their blood is like, how it changes from day one to day, you know, if it's a five day bleed, day one to day five, are there clots? What's the size of the clot? Like we have no idea uh, for the most part. So um, when you start to really start quantifying, um, and you start collecting data, this is when we can start to really get very specific in terms of the protocols that you might engage in, whether that's, you know, do I have too much estrogen relative to progesterone? Am I androgen dominant? Is there too much testosterone floating around? That's not aromatizing to estrogen. Is my cortisol levels out of whack and how is that affecting my menstrual cycle? And I, you know, pinky promise you that if you have been under, you know, chronic low-grade stress and, and chiropractors, and, and we'll talk about this all the time, there's sort of three verticals of stress. We talk about chemical stress, physical stress, and emotional stress, right? This is um, uh, something that's been, at least philosophically, I've been aware of for like decades as, as, a, as a chiropractor. Um, but when you overlay that for a woman, uh, when you think about you know, physical stress, if you're, and that could be acute or chronic, right? You could be, you know, sitting for a long period of the day or what I like to say, like, I like, I, you know, in this pandemic, like I've been, I talk to my computer all day long. That's what I do, <laughs> right? So if you are sedentary or if you've had an acute injury, like you hurt yourself at the gym or you, you know, you, know, you, you tweaked your low back or whatever, like these are acute and chronic examples of stress in the physical realm. It can also be chemical, right? So the diet that we are, the information that we are sending our body vis-a-vis the substrate, like the food that we're eating. Uh, it can also be medications that you're taking because those absolutely most often will alter your, not only your gut microbiome, as you very well know, but your metabolism as well, your mood, you know, your ability to, to absorb the nutrients that you're eating. Um, and then there's the emotional stuff, right? Uh, we, we tend to not focus on that um, as much, both as practitioners and I think as a society, because we want to brush it under the rug. But, you know, maltreatment as a child or traumas that you have um, endured. Um, and I'll, you know, shout out to um, uh, my colleague, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Uh, she's known as the holistic psychologist on oh, Instagram. She's so great. So, she, one of the things that she talks about is widening the definition of trauma. So, Yes, there's the trauma that is physical abuse, sexual abuse, rape, you know, there's these, you know, racial uh, um, abuse and racial trauma, but there's also uh, what she would classify as little t trauma or, you know, things like your parents, you know, not hearing you or seeing you or trying to live vicariously through you or, you know, telling you that who you were at the time was not enough and you develop these stories about yourself. So we have these kind of three main verticals, right? Emotional, physical, and uh, chemical that we always want to be thinking about in the context of how is this going to affect my neurobiology? Like how's this going to affect my brain? And then you want to also take a top-down inside-out approach, right? So how is this going to affect my brain, which is going to affect the functioning of my body? And in the body, of course, you have the endocrine system, you have your reproductive system, you have your digestive system, all full of hormones in each of those different categories, immune system, et cetera. And then how do we express health, right? What is the, from the cell up to the tissue, to the gland, to the organ, to the system, how can we express, um, fully express um, uh, health? So I know that's a bit of a longer answer that you're probably looking no, for, I love, but yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, my nerd self is just like, uh-huh, 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 like just nodding at everything you're saying, but no, it's so true. And I, I totally agree with the emotional piece and, you know, 
I see that a lot with my own health things and people that, you know, that that's, that's a topic that people don't think might be as involved with what they have going on, but it really heavily can be. I mean, and like you said, it, it doesn't have to be like these big classic stressors that we think of, but any type of, you know, emotional thing, you know, but whether big or small, it is affecting, it is affecting us. So I, I absolutely agree with all of that. So let's talk a little bit about, so, and kind of backing up to, you know, people tracking their cycle. I work, I see this all the time when I'm working with people and I say, okay, how many days, you know, is a typical cycle for you? And they say, oh, five. And I say, is that how long you bleed for? You know, most people don't know how long, I mean, some people do, but some people don't know how long, you know, their cycle to cycle is, you know, whether it's 28 days, 30 days. And so, like you said, just simply tracking your cycle is a really great, great way to track your health. I mean, our, I see our period and our cycle as a vital sign. You know, do you ovulate every month, whether you want to have a child or not, that is a really key sign of optimal health because it's telling you that you're healthy enough, you have enough nutrients, your body's not in constant fight or flight so that you're able to bring another child into the world if you for if you wanted to, you know? Um, so can we talk a little bit about the differences and kind of the hormonal fluctuations we have throughout that cycle? You laid it so perfectly, you laid it out perfectly in your book and I'd love for you to, to talk about that. Absolutely. And I like what you just said before. And you said, you know, how long is your cycle? And they'll say five days, you know, like people conflate period with their cycle. Like your cycle is about 30 days, right? 29.5 is the mean for most women. But for when we talk about cycle, we also have to be very, you know, conscientious of our language. Your menstrual cycle is not just the time in which you are bleeding. The menstrual cycle is, you know, as you said, ovulation to ovulation, bleed week to bleed week, right? It is how long it takes you to cycle through that hormonal um, uh, milieu. And for most women, it's around 28, 29, 30 days. And, you know, the at, when we talk about normal ranges, it can range anywhere from like 26 to about 32 or 33. Anything less or more than those numbers is, is considered abnormal. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about our uh, menstrual cycle. So typically when, um, and we go over this in a lot of detail, I believe it's chapter three uh, in the Betty Body, but typically what's happening is, you know, week one is your bleed week, right? That's when you are shedding uh, the endometrial lining. So there has no, not been fertilization uh, of the egg and your body's like, okay, we got to get rid of this and we have to start again, right? Because we want a nice, fresh endometrial lining every single month in the event that there might be uh, fertilization. As you said, whether or not you want a baby, uh, your body doesn't really care about that. It is going to go through this cycle uh, every month regardless. And Typically in that first week, when we look at the hormonal composition of a woman, um, and when we're talking about sex hormones here, um, I talk about this in the book, we talk about uh, estrogen concentration, progesterone. Uh, in this first two weeks, we'll talk about follicular stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, um, testosterone as well. And in this first week, pretty much everything is low, right? The only thing that is is elevated is FSH or follicular stimulating hormone. And if you think about you know, the function of that hormone is kind of described in the name, right? So it's designed to stimulate the follicle, so follicular stimulating hormone. And in terms of nutrition, 
when this week and even the week after, so in this follicular phase, so we talk about the follicular phase, we name it after the follicle, that is the main point of the first two weeks of your cycle is to develop one follicle so that it can release um, an egg within it. It's sort of like the oyster, right? That reveals the pearl. So in terms of nutrition, um, for most women, you know, maybe day one, we're a little crampy. That's totally normal. You know, if you've had a child, you understand, uh, you know, labor pains, you understand if you were, you know, if you chose to breastfeed after that, you can, if you recall, you know, feeling like you were having labor pains in those first couple of, um, you know, days when you were breastfeeding your child. And that's because you're over, you know, your uterus is contracting. It's getting back to, um, uh, it's trying to get back to, um, uh, its regular size postpartum. And for the first day or, or, or two, um, we can feel a little crampy again, that's the uterus contracting in order to shed the endometrial lining. So, in terms of nutrition here, this is a really great time for any type of, if you've never tried the ketogenic diet or you've never tried any type of macronutrient restriction, like, like you know, practice like fasting, this is a really great time to, to try that. So uh, the keto uh, diet that I like to, uh, you know, design for women is typically a 60 or 70% uh, composition of fat, uh, 20 uh, or 30% composition of protein. And then, you know, about 10% uh, of that is the remainder there is carbohydrates. So this is a really great week to try it. Even if you're someone who's like, yeah, yeah, I tried keto, never worked for me. Uh, you know, I hear that a lot. Like, yeah, I tried it and, you know, I liked it, but I wasn't able to stay on it long term. Uh, I also agree. I don't think women should be on keto long term either. Right. Um, I think that, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, I think that there's a there's a really ben- there's a big benefit to um, what I would call a therapeutic intervention of ketosis, where you might stay when you are first doing keto. Maybe you stay there for 28 days. Maybe you know you repeat two cycles of 20, you know, two cycles of a month, just to sort of get the feeling, you know, just to really establish what it feels like to be in ketosis. But after that, there's really no point to be in it forever, especially as women. And I go through many of the reasons and I sort of defend almost like a thesis in the book in terms of women are more defensive of their fat stores. We have leptin uh, resistance and leptin insensitivity typically relative to our male counterparts. And uh, we typically are under more chronic low-grade stress vis-a-vis just societal expectations of us, right? We typically do more of the unpaid uh, work in the home, in, you know, in the home. So we're like cooking the meals, doing the laundry. If you're, um, a mother, then you also know that you're usually, it's usually, and you know, I know that this is changing, so I don't want to make complete apps. I don't want to make absolute statements, but it's usually that the woman does the bulk of the caregiving activity. She's the one waking up overnight with the, you know, with the baby having the nightmare or the nosebleed or the, you know, whatever. So, Keto was really great in this first week. As your period stops, so towards the end of that, like most women will bleed anywhere from like four to six days, um, we start to see in terms of the hormonal composition of the woman, we start to see another um, profile emerging. And that is uh, estrogen begins to rise astronomically. So by the end of this first week and into the second week, into this pre-ovulatory week, so right before you ovulate, we will see the highest peak of estrogen in her entire 28 or 29 day cycle. 
And I've seen, you know, when I've looked at labs, like you, you know, I've seen women go from like, you know, six in, you know, six picograms per deciliter in like week one to 500 uh, picograms per deciliter uh, in week two. So there is an astronomical apical rise um, in estrogen as we move into week two. And the other thing that we see in week two is we see testosterone rising as well. So this is, uh, and this again, the peak that you'll see testosterone in your entire cycle. And I'll often, you know, whenever I'm giving lectures or, you know, speaking, I'll often say, you know, women are like the moon and men are like the sun, right? Like a man will run through his testosterone cycle, you know, about every 24 hours, kind of like, you know, the earth's rotation around, you know, the the daily uh, axis rotation of the earth around the sun. And for women, we will cycle through our testosterone over a 28 or 29 day cycle, kind of like the moon, the lunar, right? And so in the second week, testosterone peaks. So what's really, really cool about this week, it's a very interesting week where we have two trophic anabolic hormones, right? Estrogen is a growth hormone. Testosterone is a growth hormone. And yes, women have testosterone. <laughs> That's like the other, you know, we often will say, what? Women have testosterone. It's like, yeah, men and women, but we just don't have, you know, as much. That's what uh, helps with the libido during ovulation. Yeah, ex- exactly right. If you are, you know, I, I, I'll joke often and they'll say, you know, like, it's usually like I'm chasing my husband around the kitchen. Like, that's, you know, like <laughs> when I know it's week two without looking at my, you know, without looking at my app or whatever that's telling me where I am. So you should, you should feel like flirty, sexy. You should be more interested in sex. You should be, you know, maybe you'll find that your orgasms are also much more intense. Um, And this is really, you know, from a nutritional perspective, I really like to support this. So I will often, when we're talking about cycling keto, I actually take women in this week off of a ketogenic diet and I'll put them on a higher protein, higher carbohydrate uh, composition. And the reason why I do that is, you know, first, my assumption is hopefully that you are doing resistance exercise. And you know, if we don't get that today, get to that today, maybe we'll get to it another time. But resistance exercising for all women, any age is always going to be good for you. So you want to be developing muscle in the gym or in the home gym or, you know, whatever, whatever is available to you, but you can also build muscle in the kitchen, right? So you can do that by increasing your protein, um, in, in the diet. And when you are specifically when you are having, uh, animal proteins. So if it's like whey from a protein powder, or you're having, you know, the chicken or the beef or the, um, you know, the pork or, or what have you, um, these are really rich sources of an amino acid called leucine. And leucine is a very important amino acid in that it, it starts off a process called muscle protein synthesis. Again, the name doesn't matter, but it's basically referring to this idea that you can build new muscle via having, you know, it's usually two to two and a half grams of leucine. Now you can do it, you know, for my vegetarians who are listening and saying, well, I don't, I don't have that. Like I don't have these meat sources. You can still, you can still do it with plant-based protein sources. It's just uh, you're going to need a lot more of it. So typically plant, like when we look at the pea proteins and the soy proteins and the rice proteins, um, they're typically very poor sources of leucine. So you will need to consume more of it to sort of get that minimum effective dose of leucine starting off that muscle protein synthesis or that MPS. 
So you can do it, but you also want, you know, if we're thinking about this in the context of weight loss, it's going to be harder for my vegetarians and my vegans to be in a caloric deficit because of this, they're going to need to be consuming more um, food in order to get that. So just something to, something to consider. Yeah. I mean, and I always say that, you know, with beans and rice, you'd have to consume, you know, 600 calories plus to get what you'd get and like a piece of steak. But then that's where the conversation comes, well, maybe they just have to supplement more with a high quality vegan protein source or leucine or, you know, whatever. But it, I agree. It definitely, it definitely can be a little bit more challenging, but it doesn't have to be impossible. Yeah. I mean, if you can get enough plants in and you can get enough, pro- like you can totally do it, but if you're watching your calories as well, this is where it starts to get a little complicated. Right. And I, I can say just from, you know, my own, you know, clinical experience and in, in counseling, um, vegetarians, but more so, you know, my vegans in order to do veganism, right. You really need to do your research, right. Mm-hmm. You need to understand protein combining mm-hmm. and the people who do it well, they do a lot of work. They're very judicial in mm-hmm. their research and the way that they structure their meals. But for a lot of women, they're like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to have the tofu or the tempeh or whatever they're going to have. And we end up seeing a lot of deficiencies because they're not getting that full spectrum of bees. And, you know, it's a, it's a different conversation, but totally. No, but I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel I've been dealing with that a lot lately because there's a lot of, you know, there's different propaganda and documentaries and people just think that it's, but then I see these hormone cascades you know, I've actually worked with quite a few people who were plant-based and their hormones were crazy because like you said, it's, you have to do a lot of research and, you know, you've got to be very diligent about it. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And it's said with love. It's not said with any judgment, Absolutely. right? Like Absolutely. If, like if you want to do that for ethical reasons or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, all the power to you, but just do your research, right? You just need to really think about how you're combining your foods so that you're getting that ascent, like all of those essential amino acids. So, okay, so that's week two where we have higher protein, higher carbohydrates, because again, carbohydrates, um, as you are well aware, when we take in protein, uh, to a small extent, it, it is insulinergic, meaning you'll get like a little protein bump. But when you have carbohydrates and it's broken down into glucose, you are going to have a bigger um, uh, insulin spike. And again, this is an anabolic, it's a growth hormone, right? So we want to be, especially if you are pairing that with resistance training, this is a really great way to grow muscle. And as women, let me tell you, it's really important to have as much lean muscle mass as you can, you know, starting in your thirties, especially in your forties and absolutely um, in your fifties and beyond, because what we know of course, is when you move into menopause that we no longer have that cycling of estrogen anymore. We are no longer under that influence of that anabolic growth hormone. So if you don't have the muscle, um, that's there, you are going to become more insulin resistant. Your muscles are going to become more anabolically resistant, meaning they're going to be more resistant to growth. And a lot of menopausal women, even with the same amount of calories, right? Like if they're like, Hey, you know what? I've been having 1400 calories or, you know, whatever the number is my whole life. And then I moved into menopause and I just all of a sudden gained all of this weight. It's because of this change in the hormonal, uh, constitution in terms of her, in terms of her cycling. So, um, so really, really important for you to be resistance training. And then I'd like to pair that in that second week with like a higher, uh, activating some of those growth uh, 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 pathways like uh, mTOR, which is a mammalian target of rapamycin. And 
then once we ovulate and I talk about in the book, like that's actually the main part, like the main point. Yeah. The most important part, Mm -hmm. the most important. We always forget about it. No one even, so many people don't even know they do it. It's so true. And you know, you know, your period is like the popular girl. Like she gets all the attention, right? Cause we know when we're bleeding, like we know when we're on our bleed week, we don't necessarily know when we ovulate. So, and ovulation can actually like, you, there's not like, you don't hear like a little pop, like you don't hear, you don't hear it. Right. I mean, some people do, but uh, for the most part, you're not necessarily aware of it. But after ovulation, then the entire kind of game changes. So now we have this egg that's waiting to be fertilized and she's viable for, you know, 24 hours, like 36 hours is kind of pushing it, but like somewhere between 24 and 36 hours. And then we have the follicle, which used to house the egg. Now this, we start to refer to it as the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum will now start secreting a hormone called progesterone. And for my mamas that are listening, uh, you may know that that is the hormone of pregnancy, right? Progestation, progesterone, right? Um, And there's a couple of fun things that happen with progesterone. One is that she stimulates your appetite. That's why pregnant women are ravenous. Um, (laughs) she slows down your bowels and, you know, women who are either pregnant or, you know, just have uh, a good amount of progesterone will say, yeah, like my bowel, my bowel habits will shift right in that luteal phase. Is that normal to happen or are there things that you recommend to help kind of smooth that along or make, yeah, literally like to smooth things out. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I like that. That was, that was a great um, segue. Yeah. I love, uh, there are things that can, uh, help move things along. One of course is making sure that your carbohydrates that you're consuming are not like chips and cookies and crackers, but maybe they are, you know, fibrous, uh, you know, green leafy vegetables. You know, I, I love to pull from the brassica family. So, mm-hmm. you know, broccolis and cauliflowers and, um, Brussels sprouts and cabbage and, um, all of these things that are very, very high in insoluble fiber, meaning that your body doesn't absorb the fiber necessary. Like it's not broken down in the small intestine. It's broken down in the large intestine. And it also bulks up the, it will bulk up your stool, right? So it will, the, the roughage from the greens will sort of clean, if you will, like they'll sort of clean the lumen, like clean the inner lining of the intestines. And then fiber also attracts a lot of water to it. So assuming that you're having an appropriate amount of water, you're also going to soften, you're going to attract water to the, um, to the developing, uh, bowel. And then, um, it's also going to be soft because there's nothing worse than having, you know, hard bowel movements to try and pass through. So those would be sort of one and two, like making sure you're hydrated, making sure that you're getting a lot of insoluble fiber. And then the third piece is going to be consuming resistant starches. So I talk about this, um, in the book. Um, this is also referred to as like a prebiotic fiber. So examples might be, um, like green banana flour, uh, it's cousin plantain. So like green plantains, uh, raw potatoes, raw potato starch. Um, and these are, again, not broken down by the small intestine. They serve as a food source for your large intestine. So these are really, really great for if you're someone who has a lot of digestive distress, it will help to, um, or like, you know, what we may refer to as leaky gut, right? Where you like the, the endothelial lining is a little like the payers patches that sort of create these nice tight junctions are a little bit more lax. So there can be like food that even passes through and gets into the bloodstream and stuff. So when you are 
consuming these prebiotic fibers, these resistant starches, uh, you can help to patch up some of that, those, you know, leaky parts, if you will, of your gut. It also helps to reduce cravings and improves your sleep. So when we think about some of the common, you know, symptoms that we have in those last two weeks before your period, it's usually sleep disturbances, moodiness, and craving, right? We, yep. All we want is chocolate, right? Yep. Or I hear like, all I want is salt or all I want is this. So consuming those resistant starches will really, really help that. Um, so it's normal to notice a slowing down of the bowel, but at a very minimum, ladies, you need to be having one bowel movement a day. I do not care <laughs> that, you know, you can't say, you can't blame it on your progesterone because you, there are things that you can do to ameliorate some of the maybe more sluggish, um, uh, digestive system and yeah. at a very minimum elimination once a day. And that has other implications in terms of your estrogen. Uh, it has other implications, obviously in terms of just like how, how great it feels to not be bloated and to, and to have right. a bowel movement. Right. Um, yeah. So that would be, that would be my comment about that for sure. I love, yeah, I love that because so many people say, you know, when I say that bloating is not normal, even around your period, people say, well, doesn't progesterone make you bloat? And while yes, it can make you feel, you know, like your bowels, it's going to kind of slow things down there. It doesn't make you need to feel like you are six months pregnant, you know, because you can do things like you said, make sure you're staying hydrated, make sure your bowels are moving, which a lot of people aren't. And then when they get their period, then it's like a release of everything. So I love those tips to kind of make sure things are moving because when they're not, I feel like that's where we get more of those estrogen dominant type symptoms because when we don't, when we're not pooping, we're not getting rid of estrogen and excess hormones. So they continue to recirculate and it just kind of creates this cascade as we enter kind of closer to our period. So I love those tips with the green banana. Does that include like eating a fibrous green banana? Like, do we have to eat the potatoes raw? <laughs> Uh, so these are, uh, it's totally up to you. I typically have it in powder form. So okay. I will, um, you know, if I'm ordering it from Amazon or, you know, my grocer, like most baking, like if you go into the baking aisle of any grocer, we'll have raw potato starch. Okay. And just to give you an idea, like we all know, like if you were to have a raw potato, it doesn't really taste that great. It tastes no, way better no. <laughs> once you cook it. Right. And that's because you've actually broken up some of these starchy bonds. And, you know, when you buy bananas, for example, from the grocer and you let it sit on your counter, if you buy them when they're green, they're kind of hard, not really sweet. And that's because the resistant starch or that insult, that prebiotic fiber content is much higher. And it's only as the banana ripens that it goes from, you know, the green to yellow to then, you know, it gets like black spots and whatever. Yeah. Um, that's where we see those starchy carbon chains being broken down and they become those smaller, um, those smaller, um, sugar, like those smaller carbon rings, um, um, that make up sugar. So it becomes a much, much more digestible. Um, so I, I like to have it in five. I usually add it to a smoothie. So like Good I idea, yeah. usually put it in, it gives a little bit of a banana flavor anyway, without yeah. all the sugar. So that's, that's the way that I, that's the way that I use it. That's a great tip. Well, you know what? Maybe I, I'm a freak and I just actually really prefer green bananas. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll just make sure that I'm picking things like that up. But I, I absolutely love that. So in terms of once we're past ovulation, making sure that we're including those resistant starches, how do you feel about if people are going, you know, I know around ovulation, we don't want to do a lot of fasting. We don't want to put our body kind of in that stressed state at all. Maybe I think during ovulation, I, I do like 13 hours max, you know, and then I make sure that I've got more, more of an eating window to, mm -hmm. you know, limit the stress. But how do you feel about kind of maybe going back into a little bit of that in the second half? 
Yeah, I think that with fasting, and this is an area where my opinion on fasting has really changed over time. Like when I first started doing keto, I was like, I we got to do the five day fast, you know, <laughs> we got to do that all the time. And and for and of course that was me forgetting that I was a woman, right, um, right. and for, you know, completely disregarding my menstrual cycle. But I think that uh, I agree with you. I don't like aggressive fasting around ovulation, and in general, I actually think for women, we don't need to be doing crazy amounts of fasting every Agreed. day anyway. And mm -hmm. at the very maximum, like depending on, I mean, if you're someone who has like severe PCOS or something, we might have a different protocol for you. But for the, for the average woman, I would say anywhere from like a 12 hour, um, like a 12, 12, where you have 12 hours of eating to 12, you know, to 12 hours of fast mm -hmm. at the very maximum a 16, eight. And even then, you know, I feel like that can even be if you're doing that every single day, I don't like that. Yeah. I, I, I like to sort of cycle again, cycling in and out of, you know, more aggressive fast to less. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you that the week before my period, um, I have like, you know, a 12, 12, there's no way I'm going to do no. a 16, eight. There's no way. Yeah, no, I agree. It's much easier for me to fast in the beginning of my period. I do. I definitely do longer fast, like from the start of my period and till, like you said about midway, but then second half of the cycle, it's crazy. When you're in tune with where you're at, you really start to think, you know, progesterone, I do start to get hungry. My metabolism does kick up a little bit more. So instead of honoring it with, you know, the, the typical kind of go-to pre-period foods that everybody goes to, I make sure that I'm honoring it with, with better sources, with, you know, a lot more nutrient dense foods, and then you feel better. And, you know, you're just, you're making sure you're honoring your body with what it needs. But I definitely, definitely agree with the toning down the fasting there. And, and I love that you talk about, you know, the benefits of fasting. And I think that so many people, they do it because they hear so many great physicians and doctors and coaches and whatnot talk about the benefits. And, you know, there's more of a benefit than just strictly reducing calories, which I think some people just reduce fasting to that. There's so many great benefits and you talk a lot about those in your book, but I agree with what you said. It's, it's going in and out and fluctuating and it does not need to be the same every day. And I, I don't think it really should be. I think, you know, I think at 13 hours and 14 hours and maybe 12, you know, going back and forth can be really helpful. And I think for women, we just have to cut the energetic cords around things needing to be difficult all the time. You know, like it doesn't have to, you know, and I see this all the time with fitness, like people will be like, I, you know, I just, I do five Peloton classes every week. And, you know, I do these crazy high intensity interval training and it's like, you don't, it doesn't need to be that hard. You know, like no. it doesn't need to feel like you're dying all the time <laughs> because if you feel like you want, you know, if you feel like you need a bucket after every workout or you feel like, yeah, I got to fast for 24 hours and I got to do that five times this week. Like that kind of punitive, like that's not coming from a place of love. You know, that's coming from a place of like, I need to look a certain way. I hate my body. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, I have to force myself to look at this, like this sort of impossible standard that our society has really set for women. So I love all of the, you know, I love the keto. I love the fasting, but I really want women. And I think the older that you get as a woman, at least this has been my experience, I still want to look good. Like I'm not, you know, I am a vain woman. Like I still want to look good. Like I'm not saying that I don't, but what has, what has, what has become more important to me is how I function. So my form is important, but my function is far more important. If I don't have the energy, I'm homeschooling my boys right now. If I don't have the energy to 
homeschool the boys and run my business and still have energy you know, left in the tank to do the things that bring me joy, like, you know, bike riding, or, um, I, I love to lift weights, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to take, um, like belly dancing classes. Oh like my God. I, that's so cool. If I don't have the energy for that, like, I'm just going to feel like, like, what am I doing? You know, I just feel like a hamster, right. In, in this mm -hmm. sort of wheel that keeps spinning on and on. So, um, that, you know, if there's one thing that you take away from this conversation, it's like, how can we be, how can I be easier on myself? Like, how can I just love myself a little more through some of these strategies that we're talking about, but coming from a place of love, not like, God, I hate my stomach or God, I hate my, the under, like, I hate the wings that I have on my arms or I hate my, this, I hate my, that, you know, like just, I don't just, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, this as a doctor, like our bodies are this absolutely incredible feat of technology and magic, you know, it's like this beautiful combination of, of, uh, you know, pathways and mechanisms and, you know, thank God no one told, you know, asked me to design the human body. Cause I wouldn't have been, <laughs> I wouldn't have been as thoughtful as it actually is. And I, I think when we really stop and say, wow, like I am an incredible creation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's when we start to say, yeah, like this is my temple. Like this is the, how can I honor and worship the temple that I live in? Totally. I love that. And I think that's such a great mind switch to that because I think that so many people can get so frustrated with their hormones because, you know, I all morning I've been doing Dutch test readings and people are just like, oh, my stupid estrogen or oh my God, like my cortisol, you know, like it's, 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 it's in a place of negativity where, you know, our body is trying to teach us something we, or tell us something we need to kind of listen to it. We need to figure out what's going on. How can we fix it? Diet, lifestyle, stress reduction, et cetera. But to come from coming from a place of love, which I love that you said that because most people, when they're talking to me about what's going on, it's not coming from a place of love. <laughs> so, yeah, right. you know, and we, we really internalize a lot of that stuff. Totally. You know, I'm, I think self positive self-talk and everything is amazing. And, you know, I, I've definitely recently been working with a lot of people who are kind of transitioning into perimenopause and menopause. And so, uh, I would love if you could kind of touch a little bit on, because we are kind of losing this ability to know where our hormones are at in the cycle because they kind of start to, you know, slowly kind of diminish a little bit. Maybe we maybe become a little bit more estrogen dominant and then estrogen might tank and we get all these different symptoms. What are, what are your favorite tips as we make this transition? I know you said that maintaining a healthy muscle mass and weight training is key. And I am firmly, firmly believe that that is the key to longevity and healthy hormones as we continue. But what, what would you say to people who are in that, that menopause or peri, even perimenopausal state? Yeah. Great question. I think, you know, some of the tactics and some of the strategies we've been talking today apply to my perimenopausal women uh, and menopausal women as well. I think one of the things I, or two, there's two, you know, specific things that I could recommend for my perimenopausal women. One would be to become more of what I call a movement uh, generalist rather than a movement specialist. And what, what I mean by that is um, you know, back in the day when you could go to the gym, you know, and there was like <laughs> gyms open, you know, back in the olden days, um, you used to have, you know, classes and we still have them like the Peloton classes or the, you know, whatever online platform you may be getting your, you know, your workouts in. And that's what usually happens is someone might work out, you know, in the morning before their day starts and they work out, let's say for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever, they take a shower and then they sit for the rest of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or they might, uh, you know, you know, soul cycle or CrossFit or whatever, 
do that big, they might do that big workout, uh, go to the gym and then again, you know, morning or evening. And then for the rest of the day, they are a sedentary. Mm-hmm. And what I would want to see more of, and that's what I would call specialty movement, right? Like CrossFit or being on a bike. Like these are, these are, um, movements that are repeated over and over again in the same plane, right? And I talk about this a little bit in the book, how I have a love for coronal plane exercises. Yeah, I love that you touched on that. Yeah. But what I would, what I would want to really stress for my women is become more movement generalists. Find a way for you to do natural movement more often during the day. So for example, um, what I, what I did, I, you know, I mentioned before, I just talked to my computer all day, but what I did was I got a standing desk and I put a treadmill underneath it. So, I mean, right now I'm not doing it for the audio cause you can hear the, you know, the motor <laughs> when it's going, but like, if I'm in like any other time that I'm not recording a podcast, I'm walking. So I actually wrote my book while I was walking. Um, and so this is a way for you to increase something called NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, right? A lot of women in peri and uh, perimenopause and menopause will say, you know, I'm like having the same amount of food, but I'm gaining weight. And part of that is hormonal. But one of the best ways, and this ties into the second point, one of the best ways that you can actually reduce your stress and to balance the imbalance in estrogen or the androgen excess is to actually have low level activity all day long. Mm -hmm. And it's counterintuitive because we think, oh God, I've had such a bad, you know, long, hard day. I'm going to relax on the couch, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, open up Netflix and see what, you know, what show I can watch. And Really, when we really want to think about how you reduce your stress, it's through low-level movement like walking. There are other techniques like yoga nidra, and there's like left nostril breathing and yoga, you know. But what I'm what I'm really getting at here is when you become more of a movement generalist. So let's say every hour on the hour you put a little alarm in your phone. And if you're working from home, you do, you know, you just walk around the block. And then you come back and then you, you know go back to your work for about an hour, right? Mm -hmm. This is not only going to be amazing for your brain and your ability to focus and be productive, but this is instead of having like, instead of every hour on the hour or every other hour going up to the kitchen, let's say, and getting a snack, you're having you know, a movement snack, right? You're getting that little five or 10 minute like burst of activity. And it doesn't have to be so much where you're breaking a sweat. Like you're just going for a leisurely stroll, right? Up and down Mm -hmm. the street. But this is going to help you reduce your stress. It is going to reduce your chronic stress. And that was the second point is that women who are in perimenopause and menopause, menopause is like a mirror, right? It's kind of like the opposite of, of, you know, adolescence, right? When we first Mm -hmm. start and we first get our period, it's the opposite of that. And if there are things that are still in your life, if there are still things that have gone unresolved in, and this is, this would be more in the realm of the emotional space. So if there's Mm -hmm. still trauma that you have not dealt with, that is living and breathing every single day baked into your neural networks, it is going to be incredibly difficult for you um, to achieve the, whether it's the body that you want, the energy that you want, getting rid of the brain fog and really just enjoying your life. And as much as, you know, I talk about longevity and like, how can we increase our, you know, how can we live longer? Like there's no point in living longer if you hate yourself and you're miserable. Mm -hmm. So those would be my two big pieces of advice is like become a movement generalist, like low level activity through the day as much as you can. And then finding ways to reduce that chronic 
low-grade stress and inflammation because that necessarily will affect all of your hormones. It will necessarily affect the way that you perceive the world. It will affect your brain and, you know, like we're here one, you know, it's not a dress rehearsal, like at this, at the at the risk of sounding like totally cliche, like it's <laughs> like we're here once, you know, like yeah. we have one, you know, time and, and life is short. Like it's, you know, the things, things, ha- I mean, we've seen this in the, in the past year, like things can be gone in an instant. And I think that it's really important. Um, at least one of the things that I've really tried hard to do this year is to really understand what is important to me in my life. Like what, are some of the things that can fall by the wayside that were just extra noise? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that are really, really matter to me? Who are the people that really, really matter to me? And how yeah. can I continue um, you know, to cultivate whether it's friendships with people or it's my own personal growth so that I can be a better, you know, be- just better person to myself because I'm worth investing in. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. And I love both of those. I'm a huge fan of movement throughout the day. As much as I love a great workout, I am always an advocate for, you know, I'm at my standing desk as we record this right now, you know, I'm standing on one leg and I'm standing on another leg. And, you know, I I love that. And I'm really encouraged more people to do that because really we're not very active. Like we would have been, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's really how we evolved to just kind of low level move throughout the day. We didn't evolve to sit at a desk, Correct. you know? So, Correct. and the stress part, it makes a ton of sense because when your ovaries kind of stop producing hormones, your adrenals kind of make up for it. And if they're stressed, you know, it currently creates these down downstream effects. So the stress really is kind of the root cause for making sure everything else is balanced as you go through this transition. Yes. Very oh well my said. Gosh. Yeah. Well, I seriously nerd. I could nerd out with you any day. This was so <laughs> awesome. I love, I love your book. I, everyone needs to go get it. Tell us where they can get the book, the name of the book, where they can find you, how they can connect with you, all those things. So the book is called The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones, and Transformative Sex. We didn't talk about that today, but you know, there's a lot of sexy talk in the book. Um, and so you can find that and, at any online retailer really like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Goodreads, you know, where, wherever you might buy books online. Um, once you do buy the book, you can go to better body, uh, sorry, Betty body book, pardon me, Betty, bettybodybook.com. And I have some bonuses there for you. So there's nutrition guides and fitness workouts and stuff like that for you to try. And then, you know, if you want to connect with me, I, I, I host a podcast as well. It's called better, uh, with Dr. Stephanie. So anywhere you're listening to this podcast, you'll be able to like run iTunes and Spotify, all those places. Um, and then you can find me on the gram. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. First name, last name, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Awesome. Awesome. Well, they need to definitely go check out your book. I seriously read it. I think I messaged you last Wednesday and I, or maybe it was Thursday because it came in and I was like, I want to finish this before I interview her. And I did it. So it's a great read. It's, I loved reading in the sun. It was just, it was great. It was pretty much everything we talked about today times, times like 10. So you guys (laughs) definitely need to go check it out. Um, Dr. Stephanie, it's so great connecting with colleagues, especially chiropractic colleagues who have really dove into metabolism and hormones. And really just, it's so cool seeing that, you know, I'm, I'm not just this one little black sheep that, you know, was so interested in all of this stuff. And, and I love seeing other chiropractors talk about these things too. And so I just so appreciate what you do and the time that you took today. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. It was one, I had a great time. Thank you for, thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. All right, you guys. So did you learn a lot or did you learn a lot? I mean, because I know I did. And I read her book. And I finished it in the sauna the day before or the day that I interviewed her. And so, yeah, I still, I still learned a lot. And so I think that these are really great tangible things just within this podcast that you can start implementing. But like I said, you should just go out and get her book. It's, it's great. I was, it's got tons of great background. So you really understand your body, your physiology, check out her Instagram, check out her podcast. She's got just, again, she's a, she's a physician who just really wants to put out better information so that people can do better just like myself. And I think that's so great. So let's show her some love. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. And, um, yeah, I hope that, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you back here next Wednesday for a new podcast and continue to be the alpha of your health. Woo!